this is, this is my, my favorite uh, soft drink in the world right here, Coca-Cola. I'm not here to advertise Coca-Cola. I'm just telling you, this is my favorite drink right here. And um, for the sake of an illustration, I'm going to pretend that this, this represents my life and your life. And it's, it's the contents of what's, what's in here represents our life. So if, if you were to take the contents of this, and, and it tastes awesome, it's beautiful, of our life, and, and, you, and you poured it, you know, hopefully you'd either drink from the can or you'd pour it very slowly into a glass, everything would be great. You'd say, yeah, that's, I want my life to be poured out that way and nice, and it's got flavor, and everybody will enjoy my life, I'll enjoy my life. But what happens if you take it and you begin to, to shake it? Okay, because a lot of times when the stressors of life, when the burnout of life uh, struggles come, our life looks more like this. And if, if that happens and you go to pop this baby, what happens? It's, it's going to come out in a way you don't want it to come out. It's going to be messy. It's going to fly all over the place. So in 1995, the worst year of, of my life, uh, my life was doing this. My life was just all shook up. And, and um, if you were to pop the top at that point in my life, not, nothing good's going to come out of it. Um, it. It's just a really, really low point in, in my life. So let me tell you a little bit about that year. I had just I've been pastoring for about two years at that point. Uh, we had just had our, our uh, third son, and actually in 94, so my son, my third son, Caleb, was about seven months old. And uh, in terms of ministry, so I was so excited as a pastor, and now I'm at the lowest point of my life, and things are really, really going bad at this church that I'm at. And then my, my marriage is literally falling apart. My marriage is at the lowest point. My, my wife and I, we're just, we, we, just, we can't work things out. We're arguing constantly. And just like everything that can go wrong is going wrong. And so on a Monday morning, which at that time was my day off, I said, I've just got to get away. I've just got to do something and just because I'm, I'm just feeling, I'm so stressed out. And so on a Monday morning, I jumped in my truck and I threw all of my surfboards and all of my wetsuits in it and another, a buddy of mine joined me and we drove into Mexico and we did a little bit of surfing that morning and uh, we're just having some fun, just, just trying to reduce the stress in my life, not think about all my problems. And then uh, after we surfed, we went to, we were really close to Ensenada, so we went to a, a restaurant over in Ensenada and we had a great breakfast and we, uh, we walked back out to uh, where my truck was supposed to be and my truck had been stolen. And so this is getting shook up even some more, right? So like everything is going bad and now my truck has been stolen and I can't remember why, but in 1995, I didn't have insurance on that truck. And so in that truck, it was my truck, and absolutely all of my surf gear is in there. I brought all of my surfboards, all of my wetsuits. So I have, now I don't have a truck, and I have no surfing anything. And we had to basically get on a bus and, and you know, take the bus all the way back to San Diego. So if that's not bad enough, uh, about four or five weeks later, my wife's car, now our only car, is stolen in San Diego. So now, you know, my marriage has fallen apart. My church experience has fallen apart. Uh, we have stress because we have a newborn baby. Uh, I can't go surfing anymore because I have no surf gear. I have nothing. And I'm just one stressed out guy. I mean, this, I'm, I'm like this. It's, it's really bad. And I remember one morning, I got up and I got on my bicycle. Now, back in the day, instead, I always carry a backpack with me and carry my stuff around. Back then, I had a briefcase. And so I got on my bicycle that morning, because that's all I had, and I'm, it's a Tuesday morning, and I'm on my way to work, and I remember I was carrying my briefcase on my bicycle, and I just was praying, I was going, God, you have got to be kidding. 
I'm re- I've been reduced to riding you know, on a bicycle carrying a briefcase. Can it get any worse? And little did I know, it actually could. Sometimes our, our, our life can actually be like that. Um, today, I want to talk about um, the way that, that, that God sees us uh, and the way that we see our life. And, and, and I think sometimes, if we're not careful, especially if you've been a Christ follower for a while, we can see our value only in that we have a mission from God. As long as we're on mission, as long as we're doing stuff for, for God, that, then we have value. Put, put another way like this, that he has a purpose for me. We all believe that. But I'm the primary purpose for him first. Now, what do I mean by that? Have, have you ever heard the, this expression? Have you ever heard the expression, uh, and it kind of gives away sometimes how we actually feel about our relationship with God. I just want God to use me. I want to be used of God. Now, think, just for a moment, would you ever say that about a person? I just want to be used by Frank. No, yeah, I don't want Frank to use me. I just, I just want Sheila just to use me. And no, that's not good, okay? So it's kind of telling language because I think sometimes when we say, and we mean it from a good place, right? And, and as a Christ follower, we say, well, no, I, just, I want my life to be on mission with God. But, but sometimes... I wonder if we don't think that our only value to God is that we're being used of God. That like I'm, we have to like be doing stuff and, and on mission and, and, and when we're not, what do we think? We think, well, maybe God, you know, doesn't really love me then. But God actually does love us. Um, this is what he says in, in Psalm chapter 103. The Bible says, as a father has compassion on his children, you know, God, Abba, Father in the New Testament, and he's daddy. Uh, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we're dust. Basically, he knows that we're human. He knows that we have limitations. And I think sometimes we're harder on ourselves. We push ourselves harder than even God would. And that God loves us so much, but we don't love ourselves as much as God loves us. Now, we're, we've been in the story of Elijah. And, it, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, makes this really interesting statement in uh, James chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Now, why would he make a statement like that? Well, if you know anything about Elijah, we've been in, talking about Elijah for the last three weeks. He was like a super prophet. He had amazing gifts that God had given to him. And as we look through his story, he's performing miracles. Um, he, he's just like this incredible guy. But today, we're going to discover that even though he had all these gifts and uh, he could perform miracles and things, he was very human. He had human limitations just like you and I do. And, and sometimes that's when we get ourselves in trouble, when we don't acknowledge that we are human. We, we have human limitations. Somebody has said this, burnout is what happens when you try to avoid being human for too long. We just think, oh, I, I can do anything. I, I, I've got it in me. I, I don't need sleep. I, I don't need what other people will have. Um, this is a, a basset hound. And so I, there was a story in the newspaper a while back about a, a basset hound named Tattoo. And one, one day, Tattoo went on an evening uh, run that he did not intend to go on. Apparently, uh, his owner closed the car door, and, and the leash got stuck in the door, and the owner took off. And so he's driving around, and Tattoo is running, running hard as he can run with his basset hound legs, just going, going, going. And eventually, a motorcycle cop sees this, something dragging him back of the car. And so he comes up on the, on the car, and uh, he stops the car, and so the uh, uh, tattoo was rescued. 
But he was reaching speeds of up to 20 miles an hour with those little legs of his. And, and the reason I tell you this story, I, I wonder if sometimes if you, you and I don't feel like we're kind of that, that basset hound and we're being drug around by life and we're trying to, with those short little legs of ours, just keep up as much as we can with all the, the stress factors and, and things that are going on in life today. Um, so the question we want to talk, and this is really what we want to talk about today. How do we live at a pace that honors the way that God has designed us? How do, how do we live at that pace? Because all of us are created differently. We're all wired differently. Uh, and all of us have a certain rhythm, a balance in our life, that we need to kind of hit that if we're going to live healthy lives. So um, first thing we need to do is get honest about the pace at which we're living our, our life. Now, I, I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, if you were to ask me about my pace of life, I think that I could be fairly, I mean, I would try to be honest with you, but I think the better person to ask would be my wife. And I wonder, uh, as you think about the pace of your life, if the better person to ask would be somebody who knows you really well, you know? And because, I, I mean, I would tell you that I, what I think about that, but if somebody else, like, I might ask one of you, one of your friends about you, and they would say, oh, they're ridiculous, man. They're like a nut job, you know? I mean, they're running way too fast, and yet might be a shock to you. You're like, what? I, I didn't think that I, I was, you know, running that, that hard. So as we're talking about this today, I don't want you to think, you know who needs this? The, the person sitting in back of me. You know, the person I'm married to, uh, or somebody else in my, I, I want you just to internalize this and think, about yourself as we talk about this, this message today. So let's, we're going to get into this story. It's, uh, this, we're going to close the story of Elijah out today. And actually, we're going to get into the story of Elisha starting next week. So let me, let me bring you up to speed on, on the adventures of Elisha. You can go ahead and turn there if you want. It's uh, chapter 19, 1 Kings. But uh, Elisha's been a very, very busy guy. Uh, and, and so last week, he was kind of at the high point, so let's, let's talk about how he got there. So you remember that he came out of the scene, and, and he met up with a guy named King Ahab, who is the king of Israel. King Ahab is a very, very evil king, the Bible says. He's married to a queen named Jezebel. He's even more evil. She is slaughtering the prophets of God, and at the same time that she's slaughtering all the, the prophets of God, as, because her and, and Ahab have turned the hearts of the people away from the God of Israel, away from um, Jehovah God, Yahweh God. And, and so there's all these uh, other prophets, and they're sitting at the table of Jezebel, and she's feeding them, bankrolling these 450 prophets of Baal and these 400 prophets of, of Asherah. So at one day, uh, basically, uh, Elijah walks up to the king, Ahab, and he said, it's not going to rain anymore until I say it's going to rain. And he disappears for three and a half years. And while he's uh, gone, the, the land begins to suffer the, the drought. And, and things become really, really desperate in Israel. And this is God's judgment on Israel for turning away from God. Well, in the meantime, Elijah's being hidden away, and he's, for a time, he's uh, over at a creek, and ravens are feeding him. And, and then after a while, he goes and he visits a widow, and he stays with her for a while and performs a few amazing miracles. And then last week, this is where he picked up the story, it's time for a showdown. And so Elijah shows up, and uh, all of these prophets, these, uh, now 850 prophets are there. And, and it's, it's time to see whose God is really God. And, and, and so basically, uh, Elijah says, okay, you know, make, a, make a, an altar and let me, let's see your God. And, and they do. And, and after a while, they, they keep saying, well, you know, they're, they're, at, they're begging their God to do something. Nothing happens. They're cutting themselves. And then finally, Elijah said, okay, so now it's my turn. And so Elijah builds an altar 
they, they throw all kinds of water on it. And he says, a real simple prayer. And fire literally comes down out of heaven and it just burns up that altar. And at that point, all the people of Israel fall on their face and they say, God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, he is God, he is God. I mean, what else could you say? Showed up in a pretty spectacular way. And, and then right after that, um, Elijah says, so, you know, all these other prophets, take care of them, and so these other prophets are, are all killed. And so right after that, uh, Elijah says, okay, now it's time for some rain. And so he prays, sends his, his, his uh, servant off, and the, the servant is looking for rain. Seven different times he sends him off to pray, and he's looking for rain. Finally, a cloud comes, and the next thing is it starts to rain really hard. Uh, and then Elijah runs to a place called Jezreel, and he runs 17 miles in the rain. Like I say, he's a pretty amazing guy. And so this is where we're going to pick up the story. By the way, by the time we pick up the story here, he's very adrenalized, highly stressed, a lot, lot going on. Now, verse 1, Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Which I, I find kind of interesting after all the miracles that he's done and, and the big show, showdown that he had, that suddenly at the word of one woman, he's running for his life, and everything is changed. He's just terrorized by this. But you also have to know that He's, he's been, adre- I'm going to use the word adrenalized because that's what stress does to us. For so long now, he's, of, he's had a lot of highs, but if you know anything about stress, whether it's high or, or, or low, stress is stress. And at some point, it begins to really mess with you. So he may not be thinking real clear. Somebody has said this, that, that long-term stress is, by the way, the guy that wrote this, uh, this came out of a book called Running on Empty. His name is Wayne Cadero. He's planted all kinds of churches over in Hawaii, really significant churches. And so this is who's talking. He says, long-term stress is a predecessor to depression, but is not detectable in the beginning. It's well disguised by growing success, financial prosperity, or people's accolades. The numbing effect keeps you pressing forward, leading leading on empty until the bottom falls out. And then success is no longer our goal. Healing is. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So Elijah is experiencing that right now. He is at a point where he's beyond empty in his life. And so he's afraid for his life. He's running. Somebody has said this, that unless we intentionally are choosing to live differently, everything in our world demands we live at an unsustainable pace. Would you agree with that? It's, I mean, when you think about technology, when you think about the fact that we're plugged in all the time, when you think about the fact that we're receiving way more information in our life than any person should ever have to uh, process or access, you'd have to say that we probably were not created to live this way. Uh, a lot of you are familiar with the, uh, the 23rd Psalm, and it's supposed to be a psalm of comfort, but somebody wrote it for our culture today. Listen to the 23rd Psalm rewritten. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me into circles of frenzy for activity's sake. And even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval 
They drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My email overflows. Surely fatigue and pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Well, that's really comforting, isn't it? But I mean, if we're not careful, if we don't guard our lives, if we're not intentional about how we live, that's exactly where we're going to find ourselves. So we have to pay attention to how our bodies were created to respond to stress. Uh, I want to read a little to you. Um, uh, how many of you have ever heard of Dr. Archibald Hart? Anybody ever read anything by him? Okay. I've read several of his books. Uh, he was formerly the, um, uh, the dean at, uh, theological, at, at um, Fuller Theological Seminary in, in the area of psychology. He's written, read, actually written a lot of books on stress, anxiety, divorce, uh, things like that. And I've read, like I say, I've read some of, of his books only because uh, I know what it means to be stressed. He's helped me a lot. And so here's what he says. Um, he's, he notes that our bodies react to life's stress by alarm, activism, and then most importantly, what, what we need is recovery. So alarm would be what we all need. You know, when you see a bear, you're alarmed, all right? So that's working perfectly. Uh, and then there's activation, where uh, we either go into fight, flight, or freeze. Now, that's all a part of, of the stress system, right? Um, so you get a certain amount of adrenaline. But here's where he says, but then there's the part we miss, and that's the recovery part. Sometimes we just absolutely live our life on stress, and you just, you just can't do that. He says recovery happens as adrenaline drops. The body feels need for recuperation. You may feel tired, uh, let down with some emotional blues. And then he goes on and he says this, instead of letting our bodies recover because we are programmed that inactivity is being lazy or unproductive, we push ourselves forward and we look for the next dopamine hit. And we are being set up by our culture to not be healthy people and to not live healthy lives. And so that begs the question, do I rest daily? Do I take a Sabbath? Do I retreat regularly? I mean, these are things that we need to take serious. And again, we're not superhumans. Uh, we, we actually do need a rest sometime during the day. I mean, I realize we have deadlines to meet sometimes and you have to push through. And, and, and we actually do need a Sabbath. How many of you know that the Sabbath was instituted in the Old Testament? It was the fourth commandment given by Moses. And it was really like a super important commandment. Why? Because God says, well, here, here's the deal. I created you, I designed you, and I know how you work. And guess what? Everybody, with no exceptions, needs at least one day a week when you rest. You rest your emotions, you rest your body. You, just, you, just, you, know, you do something that's life-giving that feels good. But how many of us actually take the Sabbath seriously? And when I say Sabbath, I don't, I'm not talking about Sunday. In the Old Testament, it would have been Saturday. It's taking one day of the week and saying, okay, this week, I'm gonna, this, this day, I'm going to guard this day. I'm going to rest this day. And it's hard. I've, I'll be the first one to tell you, I find it difficult. Friday is my Sabbath. And yet I find myself trying to stay away from the computer, trying to stay away from my emails and all that stuff that's going on. And I have to fight hard to guard it. But it, I think it's something that we need to take serious if we're going to be the healthy people God wants us to be. And then retreat. In other words, vacations. Everybody needs to take a vacation. Even if you can't afford a vacation, you need to look ahead and figure out, how can I get some rest, take a few days in my life? So, 
he, somebody, John Mark Comer says this, and I love the way he says this. He's a, he's a pastor in Portland. And he says, keeping a Sabbath is an act of defiance and rebellion against the endless, restless grind of workaholism and consumerism. I, I totally agree with that. And if I'm going to rebel, that's the way I want to rebel right there. I'm going to rebel against a society that says, you will be a slave to us. You will be inundated with all this information, forever hooked up to a computer. I say, no, I'm going to rebel against that sometimes. I'm going to have one day. You can't own me anymore. I will not be a slave to that because I want to be healthy. I know that you want, you want to be healthy too. One of the things we know is that ignoring stress, adrenaline and everything, it comes at a cost. Let me go back to 1995. So I'm at the very bottom, and I think I can't go any lower than this, and then I find out there's a trap door. And I go even lower than I thought I could go. I wake up on a Sunday morning. I haven't slept very well that night, which is unusual because I tend to sleep pretty good. And uh, I'm restless, and I know that I have to speak that morning, and I got nothing. I mean, I can't even put two sentences together. And so a half hour before the service starts at this church, I call up my youth pastor, and I tell him I'm not coming in, which really begins to stress him out pretty fast. He said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. I just know I'm not coming in, and uh, I don't know. Do something. And I hung up. Now, I would never in my, my, my right mind do that, but I was about as close to a breakdown as a person can be. And I got in my car, and I just started driving. And I cried, and I prayed, and I cried some more, and I prayed, and I just felt like I was going to lose my mind because all of that stress had just finally hit me that hard. Now, there's, there's a good ending to the story, and that is that Shortly thereafter, I had some people that began to intervene in my life, people that really cared about me. And they, they said, Steve, you have got to get help. You, you can't go on like this. And, and, and they, they knew some of the things that were going on in my life. And, and so um, uh, they, they referred me to somebody who was a great Christian therapist, and I began to see that person. And that was my, my road to recovery. Um, there were other people that began to help me in other areas of, of my life. But this is what can happen when we ignore stress. When we just keep pushing it down and go, nah, I'm going to be okay, I'm, gonna be, I'm strong, and we ignore our, our human limitations. This, <laughs> this is, you know, a dashboard, uh, what it looks like, all the different icons on it. Have you ever ignored it, one of these icons to your detriment? Have you, uh, one of my children, um, I'm not going to say her name, but anyway, she was... <laughs> She was driving one of our vehicles one day, and uh, she ignored the one that's about being hot. And uh, yeah, the whole engine just froze up and was destroyed uh, as, as, as a result of that. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what, when we ignore stress, fear, uh, deep depression, when we ignore these things, at some point in time, everything's just going to come to a standstill. And, and, and God actually put that into our life so that we could say, you know, when the alarm goes off, we can say, oh, okay, I, I'm going to pay attention to that. Well, Elijah needs to, to, wow, what's going on with the lights here anyway? Okay, this is an interesting day. Um, first King, let's go back to verse 3. Elijah was afraid, he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. And he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. 
I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So here is a guy who is emotionally just wrung out. He's been running. He's experienced these incredible highs, but he's also experiencing some real lows right now. And all of it, the, the total of it is just, just got brought him to this place where now he's suicidal. He says, I, I, God, just take me away. I just, I just want to die. I, I don't know if, if you've ever been there before, uh, but I was in 1995. I had never, ever, I agreed, I'd never, to myself, you know, Steve, you would never, ever take your life. But I do remember praying and saying, God, you can take my life, like now. Because the pain, the threshold of pain was so severe, I just, I just lost my will to live. And this is where Elijah finds himself. Elijah is just spent. He's just at the end of himself. After all this like, incredible stuff that happens. He's just, so we need to, when you, when, if you're at that point, there's depression and discouragement, that's when you invite God in. Allow him to be a part of the recovery process because if we try to recover ourselves, we probably are going to do it in an unhealthy way. Maybe it's going to involve a lot of pills or alcohol or, or something else. Maybe it's, it's just going to, like, doing something, a diversion, but it's not going to solve the problem. Because when there's pain, pain is just an indicator of something else that's going on in, in your life. And, and, and you've got to pay attention to that. So Elijah um, is experiencing a lot of pain. Verse 5, let's, let's continue the story. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water, and he ate and he drank them, and then he lay down again. So he's tired. I mean, he is exhausted. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him, and he said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank. And then strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. You know what's interesting is where he goes. So he travels 40 days and 40 nights, and he goes to this place, Mount Horeb, which is actually Mount Sinai. Does that mean anything to you? That's where Moses came up to and came back down to with, with uh, the Ten Commandments. And you, you kind of wonder, why, why did he go there? Why did he travel so far, and why did he go there? I think, and there's probably a lot of speculation about this, but he's looking for comfort. He's looking for connection with God. And so he thinks, I'm going to go where Moses went. And, and maybe, maybe I'll find God there. Maybe I'll find some comfort there. And, uh, and sometimes I, that could be our story, that when we begin to hurt real bad, we're looking for, like, how am I going to experience recovery? How am I going to find relief in, in my life? He, wanted, he needed to take time to just replenish, you know, just to get off that, that adrenaline rush that he was on. So what happens here, verses 5, 6, and 7, is, is he sleeps and he eats, and he drinks water, and then it happens again. And we look at that, and we go, well, duh, that's, that's pretty simple, but duh, we don't do it half the time. I mean, think of, like, let's just take sleep, for example. How many studies have been done, even recently, on sleep? And they always came back, come back the same. They say, you need eight hours of sleep, right? And they've been saying that for decades, this new study has been done. It's just come back. You need, you're like, yeah, that, that happened like last decade and in the 1930s and 40s, all the way through. They keep saying the same thing. We need eight hours of sleep. But the question is, why do we keep ignoring that and thinking, well, no, I don't? Because I'm guilty of that. 
for many years, and I even told my wife, she probably remembers, I go, six hours is all I need. I am super Steve. I, don't, I know other people need eight hours, but I just need six. And what I didn't realize, and I began to realize it in my life, was that it was really hurting me um, because I, there would be weekends or times when I would just crash for a couple of days. Like, how come I'm so tired? There'd be times when I'd have brain fog and I couldn't think clear, but I never attributed to the fact of the good old eight hours of sleep a day. And, and, then, and then how about this one, just, just eating? And when I say eating, I'm not talking from a, a bag that's coming through a window, you know, you know what I'm talking about, jack-in-the-box or whatever. I'm talking about like eating like healthy food. Uh, but yet in America, we're all jazzed and just going so fast, and a lot of times it comes down to, well, just grabbing a bite here, grabbing a bite there. So, you know, like food that's good food, food that will fuel you and get you through the day. Now, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to come off like I'm trying to lecture you on all this stuff, but this is just, I'm talking to myself, too. this is just common sense. And sometimes we just ignore this, and then we wonder like, man, what's wrong with me? How come my brain's not working right? How come I'm so stressed out? How come I can't relax? Or, or how about the last one, just drinking water? I mean, I, how much water do they say we need a day? What is it? Six, 64 ounces, right? Eight, eight, basically eight ounces, eight times, eight times eight, 64, right? I know that sounds like a lot, lot of water. But that's what they say, and, and I try to drink as much as I can. I carry water around with me. But these are just some things that are just like common sense. Now, why? Why? Because Jesus and God is saying, what? I want you to be happy. I want you to be healthy. I don't want you to be stressed out. I want you to be at your very best. I want to care for your soul. I want to care for your, your body. So what about it? Are you, retune, are, are you, are you ignoring that? Routinely ignoring that? Okay, I try not to. Try to try to do our best. Uh, I love what happens in, in Mark chapter six because Jesus models here. Now, how many of you think Jesus might have been a little bit busy? Read read the Gospels. He was way busy. I mean, there were just hundreds of people around him all the time. He's teaching in the synagogue. He's traveling. He's if he's not you know speaking, he's probably walking. Um, he's he's staying at different locations. He, he's on tour. If it really is what he is. And so he's a busy guy. And, and so in this particular uh, situation, it, it says in Mark 6.31, then because so many people were coming and going, they, they didn't even have a chance to eat. So there's that part of it. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some what? Yeah. Now look, at if Jesus needed rest and his disciples needed rest, what makes us think that we don't need rest? What makes us think that we could ignore all those other indicators out there and go, yeah, but, you know, Steve, if you just knew how amazing I am and how I'm, I'm just, why, I can just go for days. Yeah, you can until you crash. And that's, that's, what, that's what we're talking about here. I, I, somebody said this years ago, and I love it. I think it was Rick Warren made this statement. He said, sometimes the godliest thing you can do is take a nap. Now, um, that's something that I think uh, our, our, our culture kind of frowns on a little bit uh, because they think you're being lazy or you're being a slacker. So let me, let me just say this. If anybody ever shames you for taking a nap, just ignore it. Just, just ignore it. Because I, I found myself doing this before. I, didn't, like, I, I take naps here and there and power naps and everything. But if you ever picked up the phone, you know, you see a name on there and you're like, oh, I should probably take this. But you, you're taking a nap and so you're like... <clears throat> Hello. Why? 
why would you say that? Why, why would you? Because you don't want them to know that you were what? Why would you be shamed for taking a nap? Yet we would allow our culture to shame us. Like, well, you know, but I work 70 hours a week, and that's a badge of honor? No. But we think it is. We allow our culture to tell it is, tell us what it is. Um, so we've got to recognize the purpose of these things, these emotions God gives to us, and, and, and then process them appropriately. So with uh, Elijah, he's, he's having some emotional things that are going on inside of him. Let's finish up uh, the story here. Verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And the Israelites, they've rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and they put your prophets to death with a sword. And, and, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now listen, to, I mean, really, if you could hear his voice, it probably sounds something like that. I'm the only one. And they're trying to kill me now. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is going to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not on the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came gentle whisper, soothing. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, this is really interesting, so God says this the second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? If you find yourself today stressed out, depressed, discouraged, you know, just in a place that you don't want to be in your life, that's a great question. You have to ask yourself that question. What am I doing here? How did I get here? How did I get so stressed out? Why am I so burned out? How have I allowed this to happen in my life? And this is the question that is being asked of Elijah. And he replied, again, the same thing he said before, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death. Uh, and, and now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said to him, go back the way that you came, to the desert of Damascus. So he says, okay, I, we need to move you, get you moving, okay? And, and we're, we're going to help you. And when you get there, anoint Hazael uh, king over Aram, and also anoint Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha. Now, we're going to start talking about Elisha next week. Son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as a prophet. And Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, I, now, this is the important part, verse 18. And this is where you get perspective. Have, have you ever thought that or been there when you're so stressed out, you get tunnel vision? And you just lose perspective. And so this is God, in a moment, giving him perspective. He said, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What is he saying? He's saying, you're not the only one. I know you think you are, Elijah, but there's 7,000 other people out there that are serving me. You just, you're so emotional and you're so burnt out, you, you, just, you just can't see it. And oftentimes, that, that's what will happen to us. So in verse 10, he's, he basically, he begins to express himself to God, which is good. Like, if you're hurting, don't stuff that. Don't ignore that. 
Don't run away from that. Like, you need to voice it. Say, God, this is how I'm feeling. And, and, and he does that. And then uh, verses 11 and 12, he comes to a place where he wants to hear God. Nothing will help you in, re- in your recovery process more than hearing God. But if you're going to hear God, you've got to silence all the other stuff. And that's hard today in our culture. It really is. You ever try it? Anybody here ever try to silent retreat? That's like one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Where it's just like you and God and you turn all, you, you unplug, but you'll hear God. And then experience God's presence. So he wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in all the crazy wind and the rocks. What was he in? The whisper. That's when he experienced the healing voice of God. And that's what God wants to do in your life and my life. He wants to whisper into our life. I, I can truly say that I have not heard, I've never heard the audible voice of God. If I did hear the audible, I think it would scare me, you know. But I have heard God speak inside of me. And every time that I've ever heard God speak, it's always like that. It's like a whisper. It's like this beautiful, soothing voice that speaks to me. Because it, usually when he speaks to me, it's like I, I need to hear his voice and I need to hear it in a way that will, will, will soothe my soul. And then he moves him forward. He goes, okay, I'm here. I'm whispering to you, and we're going to move on from here. And that's what God wants to do in, in our life. I want to leave you with this beautiful, beautiful verse, one of my very favorite verses in the Bible. It's Jesus speaking here, and he says to me, come to me, all of you who have lost your way on the mission, and you're not in the mission anymore. What's wrong with you? Is that what he says? No. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary. Anybody, anybody here weary? Man, you just burned out a little bit, tired. Yeah. And, 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 and burdened. You know, are you carrying something? You're like, yeah, I feel like I'm carrying the weight of the world, man. I, I feel like a burden. I feel like I'm, I'm lifting something. I don't need to be lifting. And Jesus says to that, I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. I, I didn't come to burden your life. I didn't come to wear you out, although you might be wearing yourself out. I came to give you rest. And I have to believe probably in here this morning, there are some of you that need rest for your soul. You need comfort. You need to hear the, the whisper, the voice of God in your life to help you. So let's, let's, let's pray about that. Lord, I, I thank you that in my own life, I can speak for my own life, then I was so shook up and it just seemed like everything was falling apart, God, that you came to me and you helped me and you brought people into my life and, and you whispered into me and, and you showed me everything was going to be okay. And Lord, you began to put the pieces of my life back together. And I know that you can do the same for anyone who's here. I pray that if there's somebody here today and, and maybe they don't really see that you love them more than the mission for their life. You love them for who they are, for who you created them to be, that they'll today maybe just be able to accept that, that that becomes a reality in their life, and they say, I am loved by God. As they begin to appreciate your love for them, they can begin to heal up and receive your recovery, not by the other ways of recovering, not by popping a bunch of pills, or, or just doing a bunch of things, or having a bunch of diversions in their life by coming to you 
and receiving what you have for them because your burden is easy and you want to give them rest. So give rest to those who need it. Give clarity to those who need it. And for some people, show them what the next step is. Maybe the next step for some, if they're really, really in a bad place, would be seeing a therapist, a Christian therapist. Maybe it would be just contacting a friend they haven't touched base with in a long time. But what what would be the next step in your life? Lord, may you speak to them about what that would be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.